something that Jonathan didn't mention is that I actually have a Sioux Falls connection. So I, I was born and raised in Lincoln, but moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota my freshman year of high school. So my, my dad is a truck driver, which means that we got moved around a fair amount. And so after my eighth grade year for ninth grade, moved to Sioux Falls. This is my old neighborhood. I lived at 2400 Alpine Avenue, which is like, is right over there. Um, I'm a little bit confused, thank you. Uh, so I, I lived literally b- blocks from here. Um, so the, the come and go used to be the food and fuel, so that's where I got my gas. That's where I gassed up the 83 Camaro. Uh, when I was 14, can you still drive when you're 14 here? That's the scariest thing in the world. Um, yeah, and so then I uh, attended Washington High School, and uh, actually Jamie Nold, who I think is a principal there, Right, he was my wrestling coach and my freshman year football coach. Um, so I, I have some connections here. We moved away my sophomore year of college. Moved um, my my parents actually moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, my sophomore year of college, I transferred from South Dakota Tech and Rapid City down to Lincoln. So it's it's fun to be here because my parents moved away. Right after I graduated from high school, I don't have many opportunities to come back here because though it's home in a sense, my folks aren't here, and so it's not home in that sense. And uh, so for my 10-year reunion when I came back, it was the first time I'd been here in like eight years. So this is any opportunity I have to come to Sioux Falls is, is a fun one. And it's incredible to be preaching God's Word to you in my old neighborhood, in an old neighborhood that I used to run around in um, as an unsaved non-Christian high school student who couldn't care less about the things of God. Uh, So uh, I'm a part of Two Pillars Church. We're actually, uh, as Jonathan said, we're preparing to be sent out of Two Pillars Church. Uh, We're we're just south of the downtown area in the UNL campus, uh, the University of Nebraska campus. I'm being sent across town to the northeast corner of Lincoln to plant a church uh, it, right there. And so we are about five years old as a church and getting ready to kind of give birth, as it were, uh, to a church plant. And uh, have a guy back here, Jeff. Go ahead and raise your hand, Jeff. Jeff came with me. He's a part of our launch team. And uh, he was nice enough to make the trip with me uh, as my family was unable to. So uh, go ahead. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to First Timothy. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, would you just like, throw your hand in the air? Um, it's, it's all good. Don't be shy if you forgot it. If you don't own one, um, go ahead and there's one, there's one in the back. Someone needs, someone's excited about a Bible. Good. Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Timothy 1. That's what we're going to be today. And, and I, I want to do just a, a pretty good job on the, on the front end of just road mapping out where we're going. Here's, here's the big idea today as we're in 1 Timothy starting in verse 12. The, the big idea today is this. To be saved through God's mission, to be saved by God through His mission, is to be saved to God's mission. So if you're taking notes, let me repeat that again. If, to be saved through God's mission is to be saved to God's mission. To say it another way, I would say this. God uses saved sinners to save sinners. God uses saved sinners. He works through us to save sinners to, to save more sinners. And so here's, here's what I would say. Regardless of who you are and where you are this morning, whether you would call yourself a Christian, whether you've been walking with Jesus for years, 
Maybe you're a a brand new Christian about to be baptized. Or maybe you wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian at all. I have good news for you this morning. There's there's good news. So so if you're a saved sinner, if you would call yourself a Christian, I want to talk about how you are being, even if you don't know it or understand it right now, you're being swept up into and called into something that's much greater than yourself. And if you're a sinner, you wouldn't call on the name of Jesus as your God, as your Lord, as your Savior. I want to introduce you to Him, maybe for another time, as, as your good Savior, as someone who is absolutely a Savior, who is absolutely incapable and worthy of saving you from your sins. And Today we're going to see this play out in probably one of the most radical testimonies that the Bible has to offer, and that's the Apostle Paul. He used to go by the name of Saul. And he's going to walk us through an abridged version of his story, his testimony, how he came to faith, who he was before he met Jesus, and who he's become, who he's been made to be since then, and, and then what God has called him into uh, in, in his ministry. And this is coming in the context of 1 Timothy. This is a letter that is written by Paul to a, a young guy named Timothy. And Timothy, earlier on in this letter, is referred to by Paul as my true child in the faith. That's in, in verse 2. So one more time, to be saved through God's mission is to be saved to God's mission. And as we read through Paul's testimony, there are three points I want to pull out. The first is this. I, I want to take a look at the objective for God's mission. So if we're being saved through God's mission, if we're being saved into or to God's mission, we need to understand what is the objective of God's mission. And, and Paul is going to tease that out for us number two we're going to take a look at the strategy for god's mission not just the objective not just where we're going the end goal but the strategy how 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 are we going to get there what what means does god use in pursuing this objective and then finally the motivation for god's mission so what is it that compels us and propels us outward to be about this this mission to pursue this objective implement the strategy what is the motivation for mission so let me i'm going to go ahead and pray one more time and because i need it and you probably do too and then we'll we'll dive in uh father what an honor it is uh, to worship you to gather together with your church here in sioux falls and lord i'm just I'm excited about what I know you're doing here in and through this church body, this church plant. I'm excited that what's happening here isn't happening in a vacuum, but we are, in a very real sense, in a spiritual sense, we're locked arms with Connection Church, Two Pillars Churches, and we are about the spreading of the good news of your gospel. And so, Lord, as we come before you today, as we open up your word, Father, would you... Would you use these next several minutes to to stir in us our affections for you father would you convince us anew if that's what we need today would you convince us all the more of your goodness and 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 the good news that we call the gospel father make this make this good news in our sight father convince us that the good news of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf convince us that it's not just good news, but it's the best news the world has ever heard. Lord, would you 
Would your spirit be active and working in us? Lord, would you conform us and transform us into the likeness of your son? And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Good. So Paul, as I mentioned earlier, he wasn't always, wasn't always a Christian. And that, that's how it works, right? You weren't always a Christian. And so today he's going to tell us the story of how he became a Christian. So what we're going to do, first of all, is take a look at who was Paul, who was Paul before he was saved? When he was called Saul. Um, so we're going to, I'll just start reading then in verse 12. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. And then this, the doxology to the King of Ages immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So let's focus in on verse 13. This is where Paul begins to, begins to recount who he was uh, as a man who was not walking with God, but actively opposing God. First of all, he says that he was a blasphemer. The word blaspheme means to dishonor or revile the name or work of God. What's really interesting about him calling himself a blasphemer is that Paul was a really religious guy. He was a religious leader in his day, and he was a guy who knew his stuff. He had more of his Bible memorized than you and I did. Right? He, he leaded a holier life, outwardly speaking, it would, it would appear. Leaded a, a, a holier life than than you or I led. And yet, he refers to himself as a blasphemer. He dishonored, he reviled God and the work of God. This is who he was. Next, he says he was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. So this is building upon and, and giving some context due to his comment about being a, a blasphemer. He tells us that he, he persecuted the church opposed the church and and he didn't just oppose the church but he did so fiercely and violently so if we go back to the into the book of acts we we would we would see this laid out for us so if we went back to acts 7 we would see a, a a guy named stephen he's the first martyr in the early church and he was stoned to death and as this was happening those who were stoning him, those who stoned him, they, they laid Stephen's garments, his clothes, at the feet of, of Saul, Paul. And it tells us, Scripture tells us, that Saul approved of his execution. In chapter 8, verse 3, we read this in, in the book of Acts. But Saul was ravaging the church. It's a really uh, descriptive <laughs> word there ravaging the church entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison 
So Paul didn't just oppose the church. He didn't just prefer something other than the church. He didn't just infringe upon uh, the, the, the basic rights of free speech and free religion in his day. He violently ravaged the church. He dragged men and women, fathers and mothers, out of their houses. Most likely their kids were screaming and crying as they watched. And he threw them into prison. He stood and approved of the murder of Stephen, perhaps others. He ravaged the church. And then he tells us in verse 13 that he acted ignorantly in unbelief. And I I think what's going on here seems like maybe an interesting comment to throw in. Earlier on in chapter 1 in 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy about false teachers. False teachers are those who know the truth, reject it, and, and, and then teach, teach a, a, a doctrine that is opposed to that truth. They're despisers of the truth. And he's saying, no, I, it, it wasn't that I, I knew what I was doing or, or that I, I was a false teacher. He said, I was just an ignorant unbeliever. I was an ignorant unbeliever. And then finally in verse 15, if that isn't enough, he tells us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So he says, look, you might have a checkered past, Timothy. Maybe some of the people in your church, maybe they have a checkered past. It's not as bad as what I did. I'm first in line for sinners. So, so you think you have a story? You think... You have a past. You think you have some baggage that you bring with. He says, what I bring is is worse. Paul, he's saying he's the baddest of the bad. The most sinful of the sinful. And so fortunately, as Paul paints us this really graphic picture of who he was, he's he's very honest, open, and transparent. And, and, And he is so because the story doesn't end there. That's just, that's the bad news. And Fortunately, we, we see that God intervened. God intervenes. Paul comes face to face with the powerful, transforming grace of Christ. And, and things are never the same. And so in verse 15, he gives us a summary of the gospel. Summary of the gospel. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So there it is. There's the objective. That's what we're focusing on right now. Point number one, the objective of God's mission. That's the objective. Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? He came into the world to save sinners. That's God's mission. To save the lost. To seek and save that which is lost. To gather a people for Himself. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. This is exactly what he's telling us about. And so, verse 16, he tells us that he received mercy. So, mercy, what mercy means, if, if I receive mercy, that means that I was deserving of something. In this, in this case, just, just punishment for sin. And though I, I rightly and justly deserve that, God relented and, and didn't give me that which I deserve. So Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So the wages for Paul's sin, the wages for your sin, the wages for my sin is, is death. It's punishment. It's God's just wrath. And he says that I receive mercy. That Jesus, my Savior, stood in my place, 
quench God's wrath on my behalf and extended me mercy. He didn't give me what I deserved, and what I deserved was punishment for my sin, for my opposition to His gospel and to His, his cause and His church. Next, verse 14. He tells us that grace overflowed for Him. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we have mercy over here. He received mercy. He also received grace. Grace is different from mercy in that to receive grace means that I receive something, in this case, the gift of God's love and forgiveness and favor. I receive something that I don't deserve. I receive something that I don't deserve. So Romans 6.23, if we continue, tells us that, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So not only was God's wrath and penalty and judgment for His sin quenched, but also He received God's unmerited favor. And not just, not just a little bit of unmerited favor, but God's grace, His unmerited favor for Paul, it overflowed despite everything from his past, despite his blasphemy, despite his opposition to the mission and to the gospel. God's grace overflows for him. And so we see that Paul was saved. Paul was saved. And this is Paul's testimony. This is his story. If you've been saved, you, you have a story that's not the same. You probably don't have the same past. Is Paul, you didn't persecute the church most likely in the way that Paul did, but you have a past too. You have sin that you were saved from. You were once acting ignorantly in unbelief and the Holy Spirit did something in your heart, made, made you, uh, when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, breathed life into your soul and you were born again. And this is what happens to Paul and so there's a distinct change that he draws out in the first part of our, of our passage here. In verse 11, um, just before our passage, he tells us that he's been entrusted with the gospel. So the man who once opposed the gospel has now been entrusted with it. In verse 12, he says that he's been appointed to his service. Again, the one who once opposed God and his work and his church has now been appointed to the service of of God in building and building his church. He calls himself faithful. And then finally he says that he was saved. And so again, this is a dramatic story of transformation. It's dramatic. Paul was the baddest of the bad. He stood by, stood by in approval as Christians were put to death. He ravaged the church, he did terrible, awful things. He was the foremost of sinners. And here's the deal. You and I, you and I were not Paul. Right? So, so none of us, none of us are going to make that statement here today. None of us are going to make that argument. We're not Paul, but but scripture has has a, a word for us to hear as well. So it isn't just the, the worst sins that God finds offensive, but all sin. And we all sin. Romans 3:23 says that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We we've I've already referenced Romans 6.23. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And then Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of this sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the deal. If you're sitting here today, if you're tracking with Connection Church, maybe it's your first day, and Jesus isn't your Savior, you haven't bowed to Him as your God, as your Lord, as your Savior, just like Paul needed mercy, you're in desperate need of mercy. Just like Paul needed grace, you need grace. That gift of God's unmerited, undeserved favor, you need to be saved. And whether or not you are willing to accept this as true, what I want you to know is you're in desperate need of a Savior. But the good news is this, that it doesn't matter where you've come from. You just get right behind Paul in the line of sinners. He's a foremost. It doesn't matter what you've done, how much baggage you bring to the table. It doesn't matter how much guilt and shame you're carrying around on your shoulders. Just like Jesus saved Paul, Jesus can save you. There's nothing a sacrifice can't cover. There's nothing you can do to put yourself outside the reach of His mercy. You can't outspend God's grace. There's no debt that you have that's greater than the overflowing riches of His grace. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save you. So Jesus offers this salvation to all who trust in Him and, and no one is beyond His loving reach. So that's the good news if, if you're not a Christian. Now, if you are a Christian, let me encourage you by saying this. What this means is that the person in your life who's so far from God that you stop praying for them, the person in your life that perhaps you never even started praying for, this person isn't outside of God's grasp and reach either. The person who in your mind is just a hopeless case, and you can't even wrap your mind around the idea of what it would look like for them to be walking with Jesus in community with His church. Let me just, let me just plead with you for a moment. Would you fall on your knees and would you cry out to God on their behalf? Would you pray that they would come face to face with Jesus like Paul did in a way that is radically transforming and changing? And then finally, if you have a story like Paul, if you have a testimony, and this is something that we should be remembering and rehearsing. So I would encourage you, I don't know if you've done this, I don't, if you're a journaler, go ahead and journal it. If you like to sit in front of your computer, sit in front of your computer and do this. Uh, if you're a verbal processor, find someone who isn't annoyed by that and uh, pull them aside and ask them to, to do this with you. But will you take some time this week to remember? So, so the Advent season, here's, here's what the Advent season is all about. It's about remembering Jesus' first coming as we anticipate His second coming. And so would you remember what Jesus has done and accomplished in your life? Would you remember what He saved you from? 
would you be thankful? Would you allow your, your, your emotions and affections to be stirred? Would you rehearse this? Maybe you might even share this with another brother or sister just to, just to encourage them, to get to know them and, and to allow them to know you a little bit better. Maybe, just maybe, you might even share this with a friend of yours who doesn't know Jesus. Tell them, as Paul does, about the story of, of how Jesus radically changed, changed and transformed your life. And even if you don't have a story that's as exciting as Paul's, even if you don't have a drugs to Jesus story, right, Romans 3.23 and 6.23 are still true. So it's still a radical story of someone who is dead being brought back to life. So it's, it's important that we take time to consider and to remember the work that God has done in our lives. It's important that we stop to give thanks. But here's the deal. As, as Christians, we often make our stories, the stories of God's saving grace in our lives, we often make those stories private and personal. And that's not what God does here. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, this is my own story. So I'm going to just kind of keep it to myself and be thankful. This is going to bring us to, to point number two, the strategy for God's mission. Paul doesn't just stop at being thankful. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Like he doesn't skip to verse 17 as he just cries out praise and worship to God. He realizes that he was saved for a purpose. Look at verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason. If you're, if you're one who like marks in your Bibles, I have this reason, not just single underline, but I pulled out the double underline for that phrase. This reason. But I receive mercy for this reason. So we need to listen to what happens after the phrase, this reason. That in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. So Paul says this, I was saved, not merely so that I would be saved, but why? So that I could be an example. An example to who? An example to those who were to believe. Those who hadn't believed yet. They were to believe. They're going to believe sometime in the future. That means right now as he pens this letter, guess what? They don't believe. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I was saved. I was set apart. I received mercy and grace that overflowed for me. Because God wanted to use me as an example to unbelievers. People who, who in God's sovereign grace, one day will come to saving knowledge and faith in Christ, God's going to work through me to save lost people. So there's a greater purpose behind Paul's own salvation than Paul's own salvation. Do you get this? Paul's salvation isn't an end. God saved Paul so that he could save more people through Paul. And we see this, we see this happen, right, in, in Paul's life. So if you know anything about the Bible, if you've dabbled, if you've read, you probably know that Paul penned a, a big chunk of the New Testament, first of all. He's a prolific church planter, right? Like every church planter wants to like, be like Paul in some way, shape, or form. 
He's a gospel preacher. He's a missionary to the Gentiles. Christian, once again, you aren't Paul. So my, my, my point today isn't to say that you're Paul, but you're like Paul, in that you too have been saved for a purpose. Your salvation isn't an end, but rather a means to more non-Christians, more sinners being saved by Jesus. You haven't been saved so that you can just keep this gift to yourself. Look, Jesus didn't die for the church so that we could quarantine ourselves on Sunday mornings, sing songs together, and never have contact with, never love, never serve, never preach the good news of the gospel to the unbelieving world around us. Uh, Steve Timmis, who is the executive director of Acts 29, which is, uh, I believe, an organization you guys are partnered with, an organization we're partnered with. Um, So this sounds way better when he says it because uh, the dude's English and I'm not. So he has the, like, he just like has the the accent that makes everything sound better. Um, I'm from Nebraska, uh, so I don't have that. But here's what he says. God's purpose has always been to, to have a people for himself. Like that, so that's a different way of stating the objective of God's mission. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Timus is saying that God's purpose has always been to have a people for himself. Listen to this. A people that he reveals his glory to. And this is the key part, he says. A people that he displays his glory through. God wants to display His glory to a people. It's people who are far from Him. And He wants to display His glory through a people that He's set apart. That's that's you. If you're a Christian, that's, that's us as the church. So this is, this is the strategy. And it's not like plan B or plan C. Interestingly enough, this is God's plan A. To send His Son to seek and save that which was lost, to send His Son to live a perfect life, die a death on a cross that you and I deserve, to rise again three days later in victory over the grave, sin, and darkness, and then to draw us into that and send us out to preach that good news, to send us out to be distinct and holy, a royal priesthood. This is, this is God's plan A. And look, this isn't the only passage where this happens. So uh, this is a really common thing for a church planter to do. So a church planter brings in another church planter and said church planter preaches uh, a sermon on, on mission and evangelism. Like this is, like, this is just like a wheelhouse kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not just coming in and, and, and lifting, this, lifting this stuff from my pet passage of Scripture This is all over the place. So we could go to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Maybe you know this. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. It's in Acts Acts 1.8. Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is why 
Jonathan said that you guys are you guys are about not just the gospel spreading here in Sioux Falls, but but ultimately to the nations. This is what we've called to be about. First uh, Peter, it's pretty pronounced here. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That another word to double underline, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And it's not just a New Testament thing either. Um, Genesis 12, 2. This is God talking to, to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that... There's another word. So I'm not just saving you unto yourselves, but I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make you great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that others might be blessed through you. So church, you've been sent. Connection Church, you've been sent. Two Pillars Church in Lincoln, we've been sent. Now, now here's the deal. What this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you have to sign up for a missions trip tomorrow. It's not what it means. You might sign up for a missions trip tomorrow. Like that's, that's fine. This doesn't mean you have to travel overseas. It doesn't mean you have to go to Mexico or inner city Chicago. It doesn't even mean you have to go into vocational ministry. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to lead a gospel community here. As I, I've heard one pastor say, he says it like this, look, this, this doesn't mean that you have to do anything different. It just means you have to do everything differently. Right? So, so being about God's mission, being about this strategy, right? It isn't so much a matter of doing as it is a matter of being. Let me explain what I mean. This is a matter of identity. So as God's sent missionary people, as a people that He's displayed His glory to and now wants to, to show it through to the world around us, it means that we go about our normal, everyday lives as, as such, as God's sent missionary people. So give thought to this. It doesn't mean you have to stop doing what you're doing, necessarily. It doesn't mean that you have to sign up for a missions trip. What it does mean is that you do everything that you do with the gospel intentionality of a missionary, of one who's been sent. Because that's who you are. Even if you're not living your life in, in, in step with this, it doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change your identity. So that means that when you go to school, what do you go to school as? go to school as one who's been sent by God, as a sent one, as a missionary. This means when you go to work, you go to work as a sent one, as a missionary. This means when you go to uh, take your kids to soccer practice. Right? It means that you do so as one who's been saved by God and, and sent by God. When you shop at the grocery store, when you recreate on the weekends, when you have a barbecue in your backyard, when you're out get, grabbing the mail and chatting with your next door neighbor, it means you're doing all of these things as one who's been saved, and sent by God. And then, and then ultimately, this is why we plant churches. This, this is why we plant churches. This is why you're about the work of church planting here. This is why we're about the work of church planting. And, and Lincoln and churches all over the place are about the work of church planting because we believe that it's, it's one of the most effective means and methods of, of evangelism and, and kingdom building in, in, the, in the world. <laughs> um, 
So, so well, guys, this is, this is the strategy. The, the mission is to save sinners. The strategy is that those of us who have been saved have been sent. God, God wants to and is choosing to work through you and work through me. And that brings us to point number three, the motivation for God's mission. Um, this will be a, a quicker point. Go to verse 17. Paul says this, To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Do you get the sense with this, do you get the sense with this verse that like, Paul's kind of excited about something? You get the sense that he's like, that doesn't even fit, honestly. Like if, if you read the, the letter, like that doesn't necessarily even fit the flow, per se. Like he just like sticks that in there. He's just recounted for us who he was before Christ and the hopelessness and helplessness of where he was as the foremost of sinners and how God entered in. Jesus saved him, showed him mercy. His grace overflowed for him. And now not only has he been saved, but he's been entrusted with the gospel and, and sent forth in his service. And because this is just something that he's excited about because this is good news. This is good news and Paul's convinced of it. You see, Paul has really good theology and it leads to doxology. So he, he knows the right things about who God is, what God has done and who he is because of that. And that leads him naturally to a place of worship. This is why I, I want you to rehearse your story. That's why I want you to remember what God has done and accomplished in your life. It's why we need, to, we need to focus on and meditate upon God, who He is, His majesty, His holiness, His character, His perfection, His power. We have to focus and meditate upon what He's done on our behalf, how He pursued us when we weren't pursuing Him. How He took on human flesh and came to rescue us, died for us, raised again for us. And as we do so, as we remember who God is, what God has done, and who we are because of it, um, we become... more and more excited about this work we become worshipful we praise god just like paul does in this passage look good news correct me if i'm wrong here but good news is the kind of news that you tell other people about isn't it good news is news you tell people about so i'll give you an example so when i moved to sioux falls my ninth grade year of high school was in 1995 i graduated in 99 I told someone that earlier, and, and I got a, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't think it was that long ago, but it, it was a while ago. Um, moved to Sioux Falls in 95. And so um, this was in the heyday of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. All right, so the 90s are the golden age for any Cornhusker fan. And so any like, new coach who comes to town, all he has to do, even if he can't deliver, is promise us that he'll bring back the 90s and we'll, we'll fall over ourselves to hire him. Just throw money at him. Uh, so this was in 95. We were fresh on the heels of a national championship. So my family and I, after, after the Huskers won a championship, what did we do? We went to the store and we bought up all kinds of clothes. It said, 
national champions. It had the trophy, the ring, the whole thing, like Tom Osborne, like, like all, all of it, the whole nine. So I came and I was a freshman at Washington High School. And here I am, like not just one day a week. I'm, I'm saying every single day of the week I had a new Husker National Championship shirt to wear. And that's like all I talked about. It was weird. Like this isn't a way to make friends. And so people started calling me Nebraska. Hey, Nebraska. So that was my nickname. My nickname was Nebraska. So I went out for uh, freshman football. I mentioned Jamie Knoll, who's the, uh, the principal, I think. He, he used to call me Nebraska. And at the end of the football season, like football season ends, like you've gone through an entire semester by that point, right? The end of freshman football season, it came time to hand out freshman letters. And you have to write like the person's name on there. And Mr. Nold was sitting down to enter my name in and realized he didn't know what my name was. <laughs> like, and, and this isn't like a story that I'm exaggerating. The man didn't know my name. And so what did he do? He wasn't going to come to me first. Like you have to swallow your pride at that point. I, but, but you don't want to like out yourself. So he started asking around other people on the team, students, classmates of mine, hey, what is Nebraska's name? Nobody knew. <laughs> Eventually, I don't remember if it was Nold or one of, my, one of my classmates, had to come to me and ask me, I kid you not, what is your name? <laughs> Look, as a Husker fan, national champion, like the 90s, the 90s are good news. And I will brag on that and boast of it until the day I die. And that's, that's what I was about then. Good news begs to be told. I was going to leave those shirts folded up in my drawer. I was shouting this from the rooftop. We're better than you. And any other team that you might hold allegiance to. Folks, the good news of what Jesus has done in your life and in mine, the good news of the gospel, and it's just like the Huskers, even 1990s Huskers, though you might be tempted to think it compares, it doesn't. Like it just doesn't. The news that we have in the gospel, the news that we have in Jesus, of Jesus, and what he's done for us, it's not just good news. It's the best news the world has ever known. And if we become convinced of this, and if we delight in this, we're going to have fuel and motivation for mission. Look, guilt and shame are really poor motivators. So if you leave here today guilted and shamed into um, being about God's mission and, and, and sharing your faith and your story with people around you, like, you're going to miss it. And that's going to last like a week. But this... This is what propels us in, 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 into a lifetime of meaningful mission as safe sinners to reach sinners who need to be saved to the glory of God. So here's what we're going to do um, in a moment. We're going we're gonna to sing a song together. And what this song does for us, it's a song that's really appropriate for the Advent season. But it's a song that's really appropriate for this sermon as well because here's what we get to do. This song is going to allow us to dwell upon the goodness of God and what, what He has done for us and accomplished for us in Christ. 
So this song is going to give us an opportunity to, to put this into practice, to dwell upon Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. And so my prayer for us is that you would be compelled and propelled into the city this week and the weeks that follow to be about God's mission. Let me pray. Um, Father, well, this news is, is good news. It's not just good news, Lord, but it's the best news. And so just as, as Paul recounts and remembers his story, Father, we want to be a people that recount and remember our story, the, the way that our story um, intersects with your story. Our, our story is a part of your story. And the Lord, we haven't just been saved unto ourselves and for ourselves, but we've been caught up and swept up into something that's much bigger than us. And so, Lord, uh, help us to just embrace that. That's, this is new for some of us. Like, we don't know what this looks like. We don't know how to live in, in light of this. Lord, help us to, to live just intentionally in our normal day-to-day. And Father, first and foremost, Lord, would, would you just, even here in the next few minutes as we sing the song, God with us, Lord, would you just stir our affections anew for you? Father, will you help us to remember what you've done for us and in us and through us? Would you help us to delight in Jesus, our Savior, the name that we sing and proclaim here today into our city throughout the week? Lord, we love you. We pray these things in his name. Amen.